Hello there, everyone, and welcome back to Running the 615 Podcast. This is your host, Drew Jones. You are listening to episode 21. It has been a little bit since our last episode, two months to be exact. Since the last episode was released, I got married to my beautiful wife, Birdie, who now goes by Birdie Jones. We went on a honeymoon and decided to move in together because that's what you do when you get married. So lots has been going on since we last spoke. Uh, I'm sure that we will be discussing the past couple of months uh, uh, more in the future, but for now, you will have to wait on some of that. I do want to tell you about our guest today for episode 21. Today, I'm interviewing Trent Rosenblum, who is the founder and race director of the Flying Monkey Marathon that takes place every November right here in Nashville, Tennessee. Trent is the perfect guest for running the 615. He was born here in Nashville. He went to medical school here at Vanderbilt, uh, and he has lived in the 615 ever since. The Flying Monkey Marathon that he has created is a staple in the Nashville running community and for many runners across the country. The race takes place in Percy Warner Park, which, as you have heard on this podcast many times, is everybody's favorite place to run in Nashville. The race is fun, it's unique, it's hilly, it's challenging, and it is beloved by any runner who has ever given the monkey a go. Trent himself is is much like the Flying Monkey Marathon. He is a super fun guy, very insightful, very witty, introspective, unique, and super smart. In this episode, we dive into all things Monkey Marathon. When did it start? Why did it start? What has changed about the race? What has been some challenges? What are some of the highlights over the years? Uh, We talk about it all and and also talk a lot about Trent's running career and what that uh, has consisted of over the past 20 years and why it's such a big part of his life. Trent's a super interesting guy. I've been looking forward to talking to him for quite some time. He's accomplished a lot in his own running career. He's run over 15 ultra marathons. He's run 50 full marathons and more half marathons than he can remember. This episode of Running the 615 is, I believe, the longest one to date, and that is mainly due to the fact that there were so many questions I wanted to ask Trent. We talk about him being a doctor and his work in pediatrics and internal medicine. We talk about his love of photography and the beautiful pictures that he posts every day of the parks in Nashville on his Instagram page, at Monkey Trent. We talk about the money that his race has raised over the years for Friends of Warner Park and why that is so special to him. This is also a first on this episode. It is the first two-part episode, if you will, on running the 615. Trent and I met on Tuesday, November 17th, about five days before the race and talked. And then we met again on Tuesday, November 24th, a couple days after the race for a Flying Monkey Marathon recap, if you will. Um, It was a super busy year for Trent, to say the least, for uh, all the hoops he had to jump through and several things that logistically had to happen uh, to make the race um, available and and happening this year and, of course, make it safe for all who uh, participated. Trent is married to his wife, Ellie. They have three kids, two daughters, Shana and Adina, and a son, Micah. I'm super thankful to Trent for all that he has done for the Nashville running community and of course for taking the time to let me interview him and learn more about the legendary flying monkey marathon if you've never run in the monkey before then i promise you are going to want to run in it next year after hearing this interview you can certainly include me on that list of people 
Thanks as always, everyone, for listening to Running the 615 podcast. I very much appreciate it. Please tell our friend or family member about it, and please stay safe out there on your runs. Here we go. The OG father, founder, creator, and director of the Flying Monkey Marathon, Trent Rosenblum. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Running the 615 Podcast. I am sitting across from Trent Rosenblum. Trent, it is great to see you, man. Thank you for being here. Yeah, for sure. Trent is the founder of the Flying Monkey Marathon in Nashville, which is a big race here in the 615 and uh, also kind of across the country. It's got a cult-like following to it, and we're going to dive heavy into the Monkey Marathon here in a bit. But first, Trent, like we do with all our guests, I'd like to just start with you know, running. How did it become a part of your life, and, and what is it about it that first kind of got it started for you? Yeah, hey, happy to think about that. So I grew up an asthmatic, non-athletic kid uh, and really was focused on my studies. And it wasn't until after college that I started getting into running. I had a, a, a friend who lived just down the street from me and he took me out. We would run the three mile loop around Vanderbilt. This is back when I was in medical school. And it was everything I could do to keep up with him. This is my buddy Noah, uh, who's from New York, and we were students together. And we we would do that three mile uh, run around Vanderbilt. I'd probably walk half of it. You know, it's got some hills in it. Yeah. Um, and you know, eventually I could kind of do it. And then after medical school, I was still jogging around here and there. And uh, towards the end of my residency, it was a four-year residency, uh, the country music marathon became a thing. Okay. And I was working in the uh, emergency room the morning the inaugural country music marathon ran. And I sat there and I watched it on the television. You know, back then they actually showed the race. it, right, yeah. Yeah. And... All these people who, you know, I felt I was probably healthier than they were, yeah, uh, were out there running the country music marathon. I thought, well, gosh, if they can do it, I can do it. And so I decided in the next year I was going to get fit enough and go run a marathon. And boy, was it harder than I expected. Oh, man, you said so. <laughs> you said so there. That is coming from, uh, as uh, most listeners of this podcast know, someone who has run the half a ton and the full never. Right. I've been a part of the full on the back end, you know, seeing some runners, but it is, man, it's not easy. Your, your flying monkey marathon is, is harder, but country music marathon is, is certainly not an easy one either. Yeah. So anyhow, I finished it. And then couldn't figure out why three days later I, I couldn't run three miles. Right. And so I hung it up. And a couple of years later, I had an opportunity to run Grandma's Marathon in Duluth. I, Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, I go up there every summer to volunteer at a summer camp. Okay. Uh, just outside of Duluth. And I was going to be up there at the same time as that race. So I, I put on my old shoes and I went out for a jog and didn't drop dead. And so I thought, well, gosh, I'll give it another go. And that was back in December training up for the June marathon. Mm -hmm. And I actually went out and ran it and finished it and felt better, cut 30 minutes off my prior country music time. And I was hooked. 
Yeah. That was in 2005, I believe. I ran five marathons that year. None of them competitively, but but I had fun. So the first one didn't get you. The second one did. Yeah. As far as the as far as the, so did you have like any any thought after the first full of just like that was harder than I thought it'd be. I'm not sure I want to keep doing this to myself kind of thing. It it wasn't even. I mean, it was hard, but it wasn't even about that realization. This is hard. I don't want to do that. It was about mile fourteen. I just couldn't run anymore and. I had no understanding why that was. No, you know, this was back before you had all these resources on the internet. I didn't have a coach. I didn't have a community of marathoners I hung out with. And so I just hit a wall. At, and I hit it early. I hit it at mile 14 and just figured, well, maybe it isn't for me. Yeah. Wow, that's I mean, that's a great point. If you think back to to that race, I guess it was maybe the first year was two thousand one, and then the first two years it was a full only. No, it was two thousand was the first one, and then two thousand one, and then two thousand two is when they added the half. I think. That's right. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Mm-hmm. And then, but man, a, a marathon is is no joke, no matter no matter how you slice it. But an excellent point if if you pick up a couple of. Uh, pointers when it comes to nutrition, even training. And for me, it was even just mindset where to be for the first three hours of that race, knowing that at some point in time it's going to get hard. And are there things you can do to make it maybe not as hard? Sure. There, I mean, there's so much to learn. It's not just about running and getting fit. That's part of it, but it's learning how it feels and it's learning that it's going to get worse but you're not going to die. Yeah. Just keep going and learning how to eat during the race and before the race and learning how to drink and just being comfortable with being uncomfortable and all those things that all those mind tricks you learn. Uh, guy I run with a lot these days and he's actually in my COVID running bubble. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Carl Kersey. Um, I've heard that name. And Carl is um, a really thoughtful, zen-oriented fella, strong runner, does a lot of ultras. And whenever one of us is having a tough day or a tough race, we turn to the other and say, what are you going to do, quit? And, and that, that little bit of snark kind of keeps you going. Right. And, and, you know, that was never in my mindset back then. For sure. Was there anything about running that just running itself that interested you on the front end? I mean, I can imagine being in medical school, escapism from from studies may, might have been part of it, but was there some running particular things about it that that you were interested in? I think there are two things that really drove me early on. One is mentally I felt like I was trying to overcome my asthma, the asthma that I grew up with that still today tries to take me down in certain seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other is I just enjoy being outside. Right. And running is a good, easy way to get outside, to en- enjoy the parks. And we're blessed here in town and in Middle Tennessee to have access to such wonderful outdoor spaces. Mm-hmm options for sure. Uh, so thinking back on it then, is there, do you have a favorite race or races that you just look back on and be like, yep, those are, those are some of my faves. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a number of races I really, really like. And if I had the fitness and time, uh, I'd probably run them every year. 
One, the first one that dropped into that category for me was the Lookout Mountain 50-mile race. Chattanooga. It's in Chattanooga. It's yeah. on Lookout Mountain, so it goes down into Georgia. And it's always on the weekend that has the shortest days of the year. Okay. So it's right around the solstice. And before I started running it, I understand it was even a 100K, but when I started, it was a 50K. It's beautiful. It's hilly, but not too hilly. You run by Lula Lake Waterfall, which is just this incredible waterfall. They do such an excellent job out there supporting the race. You've got water crossings. You've got terribly rugged, strenuous uh, terrain. You have long runnable flats. And and like I said, it's just so pretty. It's got it all. Yeah. 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 That's um, awesome. And so I, I ran the 50 mile or twice I've run, they have a half, which is actually closer to 18 miles. Um, and I've done that a few times as well. Still thinking about doing it next month. December. Right. I was going right, to say right, that, was, right. that was my next question is I thought that was one. I've a couple buddies who have been on the podcast already are share your sentiments that yeah. have run in it and love it. Uh, what's another one? Another one is Yamacraw. Oh, yeah. Yamacraw is in Stearns, Kentucky, over um, in the Daniel Boone National Forest and Big South Fork area. Okay. Um, it's put on by a fellow named Brian who's out there. And when I first heard about it, it had just run in its first year. Um, and it was put on by the Chamber of Commerce. Now, I didn't realize they actually had a runner behind it. Okay. And everyone was talking about how great it was. So I ran it the next year and it's a 50k and they don't charge you for the extra it's really more like 55k oh, though brian perfect. won't admit it <laughs> and um and as gorgeous as lookout mountain is this is 10 times that wow uh, this is similar terrain to where frozen head state park is just a bit further north so it's as rugged and pretty uh as what you might see if you were to go to barkley okay um Again, incredibly well supported and organized. Uh, you run along rivers and over creeks and up huge climbs and through big boulder fields. It's in the late, late spring. It's in April. Um, so things really still look wintry. They haven't started to green up. And one year I ran it, they had snow, mm. uh, which was really Made pretty cool in yeah. April. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I, you know, have a lot of good feeling about that one. Last couple of times I've run it, I've actually gone out with a group of friends and we get an Airbnb on the river, a lake out there, and we make a whole weekend out of it. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. That's yeah. that's a big part of the trail scene, right? Is, is yeah. doing it doing it with buddies and and it's not just the race and it's not just when you're actually running, but you know, it's it's kind of a full on thing for everybody that you're there with. Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. Any, any, any other races? What, what about, what about a road road race that you've done that just, you know, it seems like trails are, are maybe, maybe more where, where your heart is. Is there anything road that you just really like you said, grandma's marathon. I know yeah. that one's big time. So I've run grandma's maybe eight or nine times oh, wow. lost track and grandma's is probably one I would put right up there at the top. Mm -hmm. Um, grandma's the weather can be tricky. Mm -hmm. I've run it when it's been cold and rainy. I've run it when it's been 80 degrees and I haven't acclimated to the heat yet because I've come through the winter and early spring. Uh, the most memorable, memorable, yeah. <laughs> the most memorable time I ran it 
there was a low-lying fog that went up to about 10 feet above your head. Wow. And the sun on top of it, and it was about high 70s. Mm-hmm. And so it felt like running through a sauna the entire way. They actually canceled the race. They black flagged it, but they didn't pull anyone off the course. So you still had to finish. And they still gave you a medal for finishing it. And right. they still gave you a time on the internet for finishing it. Yeah. So I don't really know what they meant by canceling it, <laughs> yeah. except maybe to uh, take away the liability. Right, yeah, right. totally. Um, but it's beautiful. You spend the first 20 miles or so right along Lake Superior on the North Shore, running point to point into Duluth. Yeah. And for most of that, you can actually see the finish line out over the lake, which is really a major mind screw. Oh, man. You've got like 16 miles to go, and you can see the finish line. <laughs> That's a, I've, I always tease about uh, country music and how you run you know, past the finish line you know, somewhere in the middle, 16, 17, and what a tease that is. But at least that's pretty quick, right? right you right, see it, and you're right. on into East Nashville before you come back. To be able to see it for 16 miles, that's... That's, uh, that's punishment. I also really love just all the road races here in town. Mm-hmm. Some um, great ones. There's some great ones. We've got a great community, and I love to support them. What's a highlight, Trent, of, of your running career? Just, you know, favorite running memory you've had. It's probably difficult to choose one. Don't have to. But what's a couple favorites that you, just looking back on running from when it got going in, in medical school to, to current So I have a few memories. A lot of them involve um, spending time in places and with people. Right. So those weekend trips to Yamacraw, for example, uh, being anxious before the race with a group of people who are anxious before the race, trying to cram some food in your mouth and drive to the starting line, everyone nervous and silent. And then afterwards, relaxing, you know, often we'll have a hot tub that doesn't keep heat enough for all of us, but we sit in it anyway. Yeah. Uh, cooking dinner, cooking breakfast the next day, just making a weekend out of it. Th- those are great memories. Mm-hmm. My, uh, my daily runs that I do um, on the same course over and over every day, we've got a few different courses that we run every day with the same two, three, four people. And, and just building that stack of memory and that stack of experience uh, and hopefully a stack of training and fitness yeah. uh, is something I go back to when I think about my running. Most of those are your, your daily runs are in Percy Warner. Percy or Edwin Warner or the greenways around it. Right, close to it. Um, as far as people in your running career, do you have a couple people that just jump out of you that have been influential? You mentioned your buddy Noah, who, who was the, is that right? For kind of the first domino, right. uh, who's some people that you feel like, you know, have just been, you know, pretty instrumental in you now being a runner. So I think Noah got me started. Mm-hmm. And one of my greatest runs ever was several years after I started running when Noah came back to visit and we went to run the three mile loop around Vanderbilt. And I felt pretty good. Yeah. And he couldn't keep up. That uh, that was a great, great. Memory. That's like that's like son son beating father. Right. Uh, and that's a, right. You know, pick up basketball. Some, yeah. Sweet. Um, I uh, a big motivator, and you 
probably hear this name a lot is Peter Pressman. God, lo- love him and miss him both, man. Yes, yeah. the, the president for life of Nashville Striders. Back during that very first country music marathon, I, I didn't really have a community, as I mentioned, but the Striders were putting on their long runs, and I went and ran a couple of them, and I remember running Kroger to Kroger with Peter Pressman back in the spring of 2001. Yeah, staple Nashville run, for That's sure. That's right, what a yeah. great run. Um, what a great course. Um, and that's where I really got to know Peter and Peter was part of my life, uh, for all my runs. He was instrumental in beginning to, um, create the monkey marathon and, uh, was really helpful in helping me understand running and develop a passion for running. For sure. I've got a lot of great Peter Pressman memories. When I worked at Fleet Feet, I would get to see him regularly regular when he would bring in the Nashville Striders kind of um, quarterly magazine, and we'd yeah. always catch up. Some He's just, you know, maybe at the top of the list of people who get me excited about running by literally just seeing him and maybe having a five-minute chat, sometimes longer, like seeing him and talking to him would kind of fuel my passion for running for several days and weeks after that. I mean, that was just yeah, a no gift doubt. of his. He, he, you know, he had a real sweet, full passion mm-hmm. that was deeply contagious. For sure. We would talk Titans and Preds a lot because we, we <laughs> both love those. But my favorite Peter Pressman memory is uh, one of pure happers, happenstance where I was in Seattle at Brooks headquarters for a sales meeting and um, went to the airport and was flying back. It's about three hours, 45 minutes, sometimes four hour flight and got on the plane and Peter was on the flight coming back from, I think Vancouver, he had run in a marathon and he was coming back and he was getting on a connecting flight and sat there and talked to him for four hours. And it was the quickest flight from Seattle to Nashville that has ever existed. It was, it was awesome. awesome. Just That's that, awesome. that yeah. it worked out that way. Um, what has running taught you, Trent? What's something that you just, or not just one thing, what's something that running is you feel like been a teacher to you? I'm going to caveat this with the comment that, you know, I'm not fast. I'm not someone who's a natural talent at running. Same. I'll never win a marathon unless I'm the only one running it. And even then, I'm not so sure. (laughs) Even then, it's still going to be close. (laughs) Right. Running teaches me that you can do anything if you set your mind to it. Yeah. That if you don't give up, that if you put one foot in front of the other, you got it. You got this. If, uh, you know, being a race director, you, you've probably had some people come to you with this one, but, you know, what is an answer that you have for why somebody should, should give running a go if they haven't before? There's a, a lot of motivational quotes about running out there. They're the kind of things you say to yourself if you remember to do so at mile 18 in a marathon to keep yourself going. And so to try to avoid that and answer your question, I, th- I think the key is that the reason to run, besides the fact that it's an easy way 
to exercise, to be fit, to be outside, is that it really gives you the opportunity to grow physically and mentally using only what you come with, what you bring to the road. Right. Your two feet, your motivation. Yeah. So your forward motion. Kind of along those lines. What What is it about it at the end of the day that you, I mean, you've already mentioned the being outside, but what is it about running that you just inherently love? Just... So, yeah, so I love, I love the opportunity to be outside. It gives me a nice opportunity uh, to be with like-minded people, mm. to go see really beautiful things. It gives me a, a, a time of meditation. It is a type of fitness activity that, that I can do, right. that I enjoy as much as I hate it. Yeah, there's no, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's a, uh, it's a, yeah, I mean, it's just part of it. I think if you, right. you, if you get to where you run enough, you realize that you can still inherently love something that you don't like while you're doing it, if that makes sense. Absolutely. There, there are a lot of people in my life who I love, who are dear to me, who don't run, who don't have that same mindset. And, and I have great respect for them and, and their views it it's kind of a kooky thing to tie those together that that sense of growth and centering and meditation that are associated with hard and comfortable work yeah running teaches you that running gives you that part, that opportunity to learn I that i think so yes yeah i agree yeah um, let's, let's move into flying monkey marathon, Trent. Um, I, I, I want to know everything uh, about it that you're willing to tell us. Uh, it's considered one of the hardest marathons in the country. Uh, the terrain uh, alone makes it that, but again, like I said, at the start, it has a cult like following people from all over the country and, and even outside of the U S have come to run in this race. Um, you know, let's just start at the, the beginning. How, how did the race come to be? What, what year was that? So that was back in 2006. Okay. I told you I just had started really marathoning in 2005, and it didn't take me long. You got you got the bug big enough that you right. wanted to do it. Yeah, true. That's, that's a quick turnaround. So we, we created it almost on a lark. A fella who posted anonymously on the Nashville Striders message board, this is all pre-Facebook, um, posted on there something along the lines of someone should create a marathon in Percy Warner Park. I'll bet it'd be one of the hardest marathons in the country. I'll bet no one would run it. Now, at the time, I was running consistently for about a year and a half, doing a lot of my runs out at the park. I had moved to that neck of the woods just a few years before. And we had some... some crew that ran out there. We'd run the 11-2 every weekend. And I saw that and I thought, gosh, what a great idea. Yeah. Now, the other thing I really was geeking out about around that time was all the brand new Google mapping software. Okay. So you could click out your routes before you ran them or after you ran them and see exactly how far you ran and what the elevation was. And this is all, you know, pre-Strava and all that. Right. And 
So I sat down one evening with one of these online mapping programs and just started clicking around. And it wasn't really hard. I very quickly had a course that covered about 26.2 miles that looked just stupid. <laughs> That's we, awesome. it, it involved two laps of the 11.2. And back then, no one was running two laps of the 11.2. There had even been a separate conversation on that message board about what a stupid idea running two laps of the 11.2 would be. It wouldn't be good training for anything. It would just tear you down. You'd never be good, you know, for weeks after that. Right. You know, training for, uh, by doing a double on the 11.2, no, it wouldn't even be good for that. So, so this was, <clears throat> this was the tenor of the discussion. Right. Um, but that became the backbone of the monkey. We also didn't have a name for the race then. So I, I developed this course, which had at its core a double of the 11-2, one, one direction, one the other direction. And around that time, um, someone had been attacked late in the evening by what they thought was an owl. And they commented in Percy Warner right. Park. And they commented, and someone responded to that owls don't attack people. That must have been a flying monkey. And this led to a big debate about whether flying monkeys existed or not. So when I invented the course that was entirely within Percy Warner Park that had 3,700 feet of climbing over the course of a road marathon, I figured I had to pay homage to the flying monkeys that live in the park. Right. Now, Drew, I know that there's some debate, and as there was then, about whether flying monkeys exist, but... I, I guarantee you they exist. And I know this because it's on the internet. There you go. And right. nothing on the internet is not true. Right. And I know it's on the internet because I put it there. So, <laughs> so hundred percent accurate. Yep. yep, yep. <laughs> uh, so we, awesome. and we tell people they, they just best pray. They never actually see a flying monkey. It may be the last thing they see. Yeah. And so far we've had very few monkey attacks. There you over go. Over the years. So, I pitched this race back then. The main running organization in town was the Striders. Mm -hmm. And I pitched it to the board, and they agreed that this sounds like a great and stupid idea. And from the outset, they were uh, they were the organization that helped me put it on. Right. Diana Bebo, who is still very active in the running Absolutely. community, became kind of my right hand in putting it on and was for many, many years. She organized the volunteers and the aid on the course. One of the things that we think makes Monkey so successful is just the incredible support we've had from the running community by way of volunteers and on-course support. People right. seem to love to come out and uh, party and I'm cheer the I'm runners on and yeah. party some more and sing and dance and play music and I understand adult beverages consumed. Seen that? I, I don't know for sure because you know it's a metro park. And, right, right, right. We wouldn't, we wouldn't right, want right. To, to endorse that. Uh, there, you, you're spot on in that sense that you know over the years, especially there's started to become, uh, you know, specific parts of the course that have kind of created their own little, you know, little unique vibe and and you know 
made it their own, you know, over right. the years. Obviously, at the bottom of Flagpole Hill, NRC up at the up at the top by the lollipop loop are right. just right. fun parts of the course, and they just kind of continue to grow. Yeah, I've always thought of this not as my race, but as our race, as the community's race. I'm just the guy who has to deal with all the emails from people. Yeah. Um, but we have all the uh, different community running groups come out and support the race. We've had all the stores come out and support the race. It's really awesome. Uh, Cumberland Transit joined a couple years ago. They were actually there at the very, very beginning. Right. Um, Jogalope has joined us the last couple of years. So it's it's just great, great spirit from the community. It is it is unique in that sense that it's um there's a there's a ton of things about that race that are actually unique. Has the start finish been in the same place? The entire time we've had the race, the start and finish has been the same, and right. the course has been the same except in the year 2010. Okay. And in 2010, in May, we had the big flooding. Right. Which included some mudslides out on the uh, west side of town. Okay. And Tornado Alley, which is the long out and back um, on the course, it's at mile eight or so. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, it's at mile four. It's eight on the 11-2. It's mile four on the marathon. And then coming back, it's on mile 22. Okay. That entire area got blown away by mudslides. And so in that one year only, we had a bit of an alternate course. Okay. That's cool. I, li- I like that. That's- but, but the start and finish is always out on the cross-country field on the portion of the field that I call Monkey Field. Monkey Field. 2004 was the first. 2006 Six, was 2006, the first year. Excuse me. So you're coming up. A fi- next year will be year 15. Yeah, yeah. This is year 15, counting 2006. There you go. Yeah. You, even, and of course, for a, a, a kind of signature year, this one has been... Uh, I would imagine one of the craziest ones. We'll, we'll get to that. What's uh, just as a whole? What's been some challenges that you faced as a race director with, uh, you know, uh, a marathon within the park and and it being you know the uniqueness that it has. So it, I have been fortunate that I have not had a lot of challenges other than just the work of putting it on. Right. Nashville has changed. Nashville has grown. The Nashville running community has gotten much more rich, which helps tremendously. Mm-hmm. Until this year, Sunday mornings in November, the park has usually been very, very quiet. So that's always been a reasonable day to put it on. I, I think this year, because of the changes we'll talk about, the park will be more crowded on Sunday morning when we put it on, mm-hmm. and that will change a bit of the character of the experience out there on the course. Right. Um, I haven't had a lot of challenges though. Um, which yeah, is great. Awesome. We, we've sure. had two years where we had a lot, a lot of rain, mm-hmm. but we managed that. Right. And you you're at the start finish the whole time after, I mean, I, I've, I, I typically will run with my buddy Travis Millsaps, who again loves your race. It's literally his favorite weekend of the year. But I'll I'll typically join him, you know, at either the bottom of the flagpole at mile eighteen or yeah. up with NRC and, and then we run to the run biggest the stretch hill. when he's at his lowest and I'm completely fresh is typically when I'll jump in. So I always see you at the finish, but I've I've never been there for the start or, or the kind of the you know, the while everyone's out running part, what's going on. Yeah, so the first eight years I would start the race. We started at 8 a.m. And then five minutes later, I went out and ran the race with everyone. Gotcha. After that, 
I did not run the race. I took a couple years completely off. In the last four or five years, I really enjoyed getting everyone out on the course, taking a deep breath, and then going out and running for about an hour. And I've got a little mini route that I do that uh, takes me out to right where all the runners are so I can wave at them and cheer for them while running the opposite direction that they're running. And that's a lot of fun. And then I'm back at the start-finish line area by, you know, about 9.30 a.m., so I can take care of whatever business needs to be taken care of. And then I'm there for the finishers. I loved running the whole race with everyone. That was awesome. And I think a lot of people out on the course thought it was really cool that the race director was out there with them. But I hated missing the the top finishers. And for that matter, all the finishers who are faster than me, which is quite a lot of people. Yeah, uh, especially on that course where, you know, I'm a little slower because I'm stopping at all the aid stations and thanking them for coming out and supporting the race. So right. monkey was never my fastest race. I don't. Uh, yeah. If you, if somebody's has uh, their their PR on flying monkey as a marathon, that's that's a unique, probably a small group of people can say that there are a few. Yeah. Um, so let's just, you know. 2020 has been about as bonkers as it gets. Uh, you know, it's been since March now that you've known the COVID-19 situation and how it might change some things. But I guess as it's gotten closer to closer to race day and we've had spikes in coronavirus and then down and then spikes and so forth, I imagine everything has been on the table this year as far as having it, not having it, what would we do to have it? Just talk about it this, this year and, and what all it's just kind of played out. Now, now being uh, five days away right, from, right. from having the race. So it's been a roller coaster. I mean, it's, it's that simple. We normally open up registration August 1st. Okay. And in early August, late July, the numbers in the country and in Nashville were not looking terrible, terrible. Don't get me wrong. There were a lot of very sick people, a lot of hospitalized people. A lot of people were dying. We, as a country, could be doing a better job of this. For sure. But with safety measures in place in early August, it looked like you could safely put on an outdoor event like a marathon, especially with small numbers. Mm-hmm. By that point, several other races in the community had gone on. They did not seem to be causing illness. People seemed to be following the safety-related rules. <laughs> and so we were optimistic. I'm personally a bit of a rule follower, so I wasn't going to put it on without clear approval from the different powers that be within the city. Right. And by this point, the health department had gotten involved. The last few years, the race has also been managed by the Friends of Warner Parks, a charitable organization that helps curate the Warner Parks. And they also are a bit beholden by city regulations. So I could no longer just put it on because I wanted to. I, I really had to have city approval. And this is more than just a park permit. This was full health department approval. Mm-hmm. And health department was overwhelmed. They were reviewing every event, every wedding, 
every concert, every sporting event, everything. Lots of those in Nashville. Right. Yep. And so they were operating at a pace that it looked like they were not going to be able to review Monkey until the end of October or early November, which is just not enough time for me to assemble the race. Right. Engage my sponsors, take money from runners in good faith. And I didn't want to open registration if I wasn't sure I could do that, if I was sure I could take the money from the runners in right. good faith. Now my runners said, you know, we'll support what you do. I have such a great community of runners. And if you have to cancel the race, fine. I don't want to do that, though. I'd rather, if I try to put it on, actually be able to put it on, if I can do it safely. Certainly. So I, in the end, had to pester the health department and be the squeaky wheel, pull some strings, and finally got a go-ahead in early to mid-October and opened up registration almost immediately. Got approval from the Friends of Warner Parks. The Striders help us with timing. So I got their approval. Everyone was on board. I opened up registration. We did it the way we always do with, you know, open up for a week for the lottery and then we keep charity entries open longer we registered a smaller number of people this year just in line with keeping it safe and everything was looking okay we you know had a little over 250 runners registered compared to our normal 350 when you include our lottery and charity runners has that been the cap for a while now 350 it's a self-imposed cap, mainly right. to keep the community tight and manageable. Yeah, um, more people intimate. sign up than than actually run it, though, for sure. More Always, people, yeah, absolutely. So, right. Some don't get in the lottery. Some get in the lottery or buy a charity slot, but then something happens in life and they can't come or don't show up. Right. We usually keep a waiting list to put people on as others drop off. Right. So things are going well, at things least are going when, well. when they and, first say it's a green light. And over the past two weeks, the numbers have just been spiking around the country, and especially in Middle Tennessee, the COVID numbers. Mm-hmm. We're now at a place where in the past week there are 8,000 new cases in Tennessee. Vanderbilt has almost no beds. Tennessee has almost no hospital beds. And when I say beds, I mean both beds and people to staff the beds, you know, doctors and nurses. And it's a terrible situation. And, you know, I've, I've been more and more anxious about this. I'm a doc. I'm supposed to really do the right thing and advise the right thing. And having a, a big race with the big after party that is you know, just intrinsic to the monkey culture, just seem less and less comfortable to me, less and less safe. Right. And finally, yesterday, I admitted that out loud. Just, I mean, we're right here in the moment, right? Mm-hmm. Just yesterday, I admitted that out loud uh, to a couple respected colleagues and people in the running community and to a person, everyone shared my concern and was right there at the edge of saying something as well. So we, all of us were thinking about this at the same time. And I reached out to colleagues in public health policy, and I reached out to respected leaders in the racing community. 
And I reached out to someone in the health department. And I reached out to people in the Striders and the Friends of Warner Park. And, and everyone kind of agreed that this is starting to look like not a good idea, not to put it on this, the way we normally do. Right. But I didn't have a good alternative in mind. And while I was thinking about this, I just said, well, you know, I'll ask, I'll ask my community. I'll ask my runners. And so I just threw it out there on Facebook. What do you think? Here's my worry. COVID is rising. COVID's a problem. We don't want to add to the problem. But at the same time, I want to give you the opportunity to, to run the race if we can find a way to do it safely. Mm. Got a lot of great ideas. While we were having this conversation, the Rock and Roll Nashville Marathon, which is currently scheduled or was currently scheduled the day before Monkey this year, postponed from April, canceled. Right. And that became a big part of the conversation. Now, just as a side point, I reached out to them when they put their race on the same weekend as Monkey back in the summer to see if there's something neat we could do uh, to make it a win-win for both races and maybe even to give back to people who run both races. Mm -hmm. And it took me a minute to get a hold of them, but once we connected, they were they were really very supportive of the idea. It was great to see that. Right. And even last week, they reached out and said, look, after our race, we expect to have a lot of water and food if you want to come pick some up to support your race. Yeah. Um, so I, I ended up reaching out to them just to offer my condolences. So I got a lot of great feedback from my runners just on the Facebook page. And I finally realized, you know, what people really want is they want to come out and run the course. And a lot of people have said, Trent, if you cancel, we're still going to come out and run it. So what I ought to do, I'm, I'm sitting, y'all, y'all on the podcast can't see this. I'm, I'm throwing a big shrug. <laughs> it's true. I'm looking at it. <laughs> so, you know, I shrug. Um, what am I going to do? I just put out a mat, have it open for a number of hours. People can run the course like they said they are. I'll give them their chip. And we will do kind of nothing else. Right. So what we, what we landed on is the starting mat is going to be open for two and a half hours. Start when you want. Pull up. Get your temperature taken. Get your bib. We'll keep everyone distanced. They'll be wearing masks. Go run. When you come back, I've got a medal for you. I've got a silly pint like we always do for you. I'm not going to have the beer garden this year, unfortunately. Yazoo was very generous and already donated a bunch of beer. Yeah. I'll be returning it, maybe minus a can or two. <laughs> um, Just for good measure, I agree. Thank you, Linus. Um, and um, we'll then have them walk to the next table to get the swag, the shirts and whatnot. And then everyone's got to leave. Right. We won't have our after party. We will have a bluegrass band playing, though, so that when you finish, at least you can get your country monkey on, which is this year's theme. Awesome. That's great, Trent. I, I, I love the story about it, and I love your very conscious effort to you know, make the race safe. Ask other people in your medical field. Ask people in the running industry their thoughts. Ask runners who have maybe run it before and who are planning on running and just get a lot of intel before coming up with ultimately what is not an easy decision. Um, I think just everything that Flying Monkey is 
enables it to have this race that is going to happen on Sunday in the format mm-hmm. that it is. Do you know about how many people are planning to run? So I printed 280 bibs for about 265 runners. I always keep a couple of extras. Right now, I'm aware of at least 10 who've told me they're not going to show up. My guess is there are at least another 20 to 30 who won't show up. Right. We're sitting here talking on Tuesday before the Sunday race. Your listeners are going to hear this sometime after the race, I suspect. So they'll they'll actually know the punchline before I do. Right. Um, whether you know the city dropped into phase one and we have to cancel, or whether we were able to hold it safely. But my guess is we'll have somewhere between 200 and 240 people show up and run it and finish. Right. Um, what's just some things you've learned along the way? You said you've had some great community support. You haven't had really any ton of what you would label major challenges, but from, you know, now being a big runner, not only in Nashville, but in Percy Warner Park where Monkey takes place and then also running some great races around the country. Have any, any things you've picked up from witnessing those that you kind of have tried to, you know, uh, initiate into the Monkey? Yeah, it's a great question. I I have not been shy in saying over the years, everything I do at Monkey, I stole from some other place. <laughs> I, I learned it elsewhere. So one of my first marathons was Chickamauga, a battlefield marathon down outside of Chattanooga. And one of the things that really impressed me about Chickamauga was just the vast amount of food they had after the race. Right. And so what I did is I created a potluck smorgasbord. I have all the runners and volunteers bring food, not this year, sorry. Right. But in most years, and it's awesome. People bring sweets, they bring salty, there's so much food. Right. And then whatever's left over, we can take to Nashville Rescue Mission. Oh, that's awesome. I bake every year from scratch 12 gingerbread crust pumpkin pies made from my kids' jack-o'-lanterns that I then roast down. Um, and and people appreciate those. Yeah. I learned from the Huntsville Rocket City Marathon about giving away free pictures. People love their pictures. And if I don't give them away free, most runners aren't going to buy them. Mm-hmm. And many will steal them off of whatever website. So, you know, if I've got 300 runners... And I pay my photographer $500. That's more than he or she's going to make selling pictures. Right. It's just over a buck a runner. And they're super stoked to get free pictures. Awesome. I I have observed that runners will always talk about how useless they think the shirts and medals are, Mm -hmm. but secretly how much they love them. Right. So I give all my runners two shirts. I give them a technical long sleeve shirt, which is appreciated. And I've been doing that longer. You know, every race now gives a tech shirt, but monkey's been doing it longer than most races. And I put their name on the shirt, which is so much work for my shirt company. Thank you, Susan. Um, but they do it and it's great and the runners love it. I put on the sleeves how many monkeys you finish. We call them monkey kills. Yeah. So if this is your eighth monkey, you'll get seven monkey kills on your sleeve. Phil Zimmerman uh, gave me that idea way back in the day. Thank you, Phil. He's been a big, big monkey uh, yeah. participant from the early go. But then I also design a cotton shirt, which is always got some fun version of the theme on it. And I give that to all the volunteers and all the runners. 
Right. So the tech shirt that the runners get is not logoed up on the back. So they get kind of a clean shirt, don't feel like an advertisement, but then they also get this fun cotton shirt. And that's where we put the logos. Right. And, and people seem to enjoy both. Yep. Um, a lot of races will have an after party and it'll be kind of limited. And if they give you beer, you'll have a ticket for a can of beer or a pour of beer from a keg. And Yazoo has been generous over the years, and we've been able not to limit people's party limit, how much they drink, you know, within reason, we'll still police to make sure they're not getting out of hand. Right. Um, but if someone's sitting there for four hours on a nice sunny November day eating food from the smorgasbord, there's no reason why I should cut them off at one beer if that's what they want. Yeah. And um, so just turning it into, you know, a nice day to enjoy the park and the community and uh, fellowship is, is great. W when I was looking at options for this year, I really worried about taking that away because it would take away half of what makes it special what what makes monkey monkey half right. of its soul in the end the runners have told me they're okay with that that if they get to run in the park and call it a monkey and get another monkey kill on their sleeve they're fine right keep the streak going as well keep the streak going so that's i mean that's great trend. i mean i think i think it's just a, a unique and wonderful race across the board um from where it takes place to the theme to just the story behind it and you know uh, the logos i mean i know here recently you've done some trucker hats too that will have a monkey logo i i have friends trent that have monkey tattoos i yep. mean that's that's a cool thing we we have a large number of people who've inked themselves with monkey ian from safe house tattoo a few years ago actually ian white great guy. Yeah, yeah yeah great guy um he uh Gave, he sponsored the race and gave away free monkey tattoos. Man. So you could go in and he'd give you a $100 value tattoo of the monkey logo, you know, hoping to drum up business. Sure. And he's always been a supporter. He, he talked about doing it this year, but with everything up in the air, we didn't move forward this year. But gosh, I look forward to partnering with him in the future. Man, he couldn't couldn't be a bigger fan of that, guys. That's, that's awesome. Um, so 2019, is that when Half Marathon was added? Right. So we've been talking about it for years. Hmm. And last year, 2019, I finally got some folks who were willing really to pick up the ball mm -hmm. and own a lot of it so I didn't have to put on two races at the same time. Right. Uh, and so the Nashville Striders, with support from Friends of Warner Parks and my support, picked it up and put it on. And we did that on Saturday with Monkey on Sunday. Right. Monkey weekend. Monkey weekend. Yeah. So you could run both races the same weekend. Mm -hmm. And the, the trucker hat you mentioned went to people as a free gift for running both races. Boom. Yeah. That's, that's, that makes it worth it. Um, and then, so now half marathon is scheduled for two weeks after the marathon. That's this right. Year. There's a number of reasons why we separated them. One of the reason is during the era of COVID with everyone isolated at home, people have rediscovered the outdoor spaces around them. Mm -hmm. And it's been wonderful to see. It's also been annoying that you can't find parking at any of your favorite parks at any hour of the day, but it's great to see so many people suddenly embracing all these green spaces and finally appreciating them. 
And as a result, every day of the week, but especially every day of the weekend, even here deep into November, the the parks are full of people. Sure. And so Metro is no longer permitting two events in the same park on the same weekend. Okay. So for example, as I understand it, because we have monkey this weekend, someone at the far end of the park on Saturday couldn't have a wedding. I see. Right. Uh, just to protect the parks from too much impact. And so we already were going to have to separate the two for that reason. Two with all the uncertainty around COVID, it, makes a lot of sense to separate them uh, just so that we give the community a chance to kind of see how one works before fully engaging sure. the second. And if, you know, our changes to the, the full marathon work and appear to be safe, then that'll inform what they do, we do for the half marathon. Yeah. Awesome. I think that's great that you have the half. And I know that, you know, there's a lot of runners who were excited that yeah. the half was an option or we, is now an option. We, we really like having them on the same weekend too. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of value there for all the running geeks who like to back to back races. Right. It's great to be able to, to do them, to have, as you said, the weekend of monkey. Mm -hmm. um, and for people who come from out of town, you know, they can run both or, one person can run one and one partner or spouse, whatever could run the other. Um, and they could support each other in that. Right. And so by separating them by two weeks, you lose that effect. Yeah. Um, but for 2020, this seemed like the right thing to do. That, that, yeah. Great segue. That was my kind of my final question on the, uh, on the monkey part of it. 15 years in, uh, is, is the flying monkey marathon, what you envisioned it when, when you first kind of thought about it and what it's now become? And, you know, is there anything about it that has maybe even exceeded expectations with kind of what you had in your head? It's a great question. So I, I had no vision for it at the beginning. We did this kind of one-time thing. We let in a hundred runners. It took three months for it to fill up. Um, I, I did advertise it pretty aggressively in that first year. Uh, just because I wanted a hundred runners to come, sure, but I had no long term vision for it. It was just kind of a fun thing. Eventually, it took several years, but my vision for it was to have this big community oriented event that celebrates and gives back to the parks. And so, here, fifteen years in, we have raised through swag sales and sponsorships and charity entries to the race over about $200,000 for Friends of Warner Parks over 15 years. That's amazing. Um, all for this small little 300-person, as, as I say, rinky-dink race out in the woods. Um, we've energized people every year. People get to November, they're tired, they're kind of burnt out on running, and they come away from Monkey just supercharged to go into the winter right. uh, and run the winter away. And... And just to have this opportunity, as I said, to celebrate the parks and what a gem they are. One of the largest metro parks in the country, if not the world, right here in, in Nashville. Yeah. It's just such a great thing. 
you can get lost for hours in the woods right here in the middle of Nashville. Ian White, who you mentioned, I know, has gotten lost on one of his inaugural runs yes. at Percy Warner Park. Happens to a lot. If you don't, you see people out there, to your point, there's a lot of people out there maybe who haven't spent a lot of time there, a lot of people moving to Nashville, but you can you can turn a three-mile run and do a 13-mile run Absolutely. easily. One of my favorite things back in the day when I was first discovering the park 20 years ago now, was getting lost in the park. Yeah. I don't really get lost in the park anymore, unfortunately, but I used to love it. Um, this is one of these things where you asked earlier about what running does for you, why you like it, what it gives you. And after a while, running gives you the confidence that if you get lost in the park, no big deal. Right. You'll find you'll you'll find you'll eventually your way out. get your way yeah, out. Yeah, you got yeah. you got the stamina to get out of there, man. That's awesome. I I just think it's the neatest race, Trent, and I am uh, absolutely uh, not alone in that thought. It's yeah, it's it's you. a big part of Nashville's running community. Um, you yourself are, are are a big part of it, just because of your, uh, you know, what you do for the race, but just your, you know, desire to make it what it is and make it special and make it something that people walk away from not only just the event uh feeling great about it but feeling great about being a runner and feeling great about percy warner park um you 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 got to the point before i could ask it i was gonna you're you're very upfront about your desire to support friends of warner park um, yeah. on your social media through this race i mean i guess it's easy to say percy warner is just a super special place for you yeah, absolutely. The The way I see it is the park and friends of Warner Park have given so much to me personally and to us as a community. People from around the world who visit Nashville, who have the opportunity to experience the parks, remember it fondly, who, you know, they talk about it. Right. I hear all the time from people who grew up in Nashville, who moved away, who want to come run monkey because they remember from their youth running in the parks or walking in the parks or sometimes riding horses in the parks. And they just want this opportunity to come back. And, and so they've given so much to so many people. It's, it's nice to give back, you know, something. So, talked to Trent last Tuesday, pre-race, Harpeth Hills, Flying Monkey, talked a lot about it, which you guys just heard. We are now back post-race on the next Tuesday, a week later, and Trent is very kind to come back again and give us a race recap of the day, how it went, uh, you know, anything you want to tell us about it. I was out there, and it was a super fun day. Weather was was great for running. Uh, just just start at the beginning, Trent, from how, how you were mindset Tuesday when we talked last week to now being post-race and, and how it all went. Yeah, boy. So, course your listeners are a lot closer to how i was last tuesday than i am now here a week later but anyhow for sure <clears throat> so I, I mean i i was just so full of kind of anxious energy right no idea what was going to happen really really worried about the situation with the pandemic increasing with the rock and roll marathon getting canceled could we put on the monkey safely and every day I worried that, you know, that was going to be it and I wasn't going to be able to do it. We put in place all these measures to um, try to make it safe, safe as possible with no congregating and no single start line except for the fasties right at eight. And, you know, I didn't know if people were going to like it. The, the monkey has really become this 
big community celebration where after the end of a hard summer and maybe a hard early fall with work and running and training, people get to come together and run hard in the hills in a beautiful park and then hang out all afternoon and celebrate and enjoy the afternoon, eat good food, drink good drink, um, and enjoy each other, which, you know, we can't do these days. And so I was worried that without that party, without that community, without all these people out on the course together, that uh, we would not have the race we've developed. Right. But as I've reflected here over the past couple of days, and as I sat there on Sunday and watched just how much joy people had getting to do something in this crazy year, something that almost resembled normal times, uh, you know, it was very heartening. Sure. I go back to the beginning. I go back 15 plus years ago when we assembled the first monkey with no vision, no idea that we would ever do it again. Just, you know, let's get some folks together and run a stupid hilly race. Let's see park. really how stupid this is. Yeah. And there was no after party and there was no Yazoo beer that year. And there were no hatch prints and, you know, funny shirts and, and big, big community. It wasn't an established thing. It was just a bunch of people coming out and running in the park. And in a lot of ways, as much as I love and respect what it's become, in a lot of ways, this year took us back to the core, to the roots of what the race really was. Yeah, I, Where, I saw that for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, we we had a starting line, and people went and ran, and people suffered, and they had good on-course support from our wonderful sponsors out there. And then they finished, and that was their day, and it was really kind of stripped down to the to where we came from. Yeah. So you you came up uh, after talking to some people, some colleagues, people who'd run Monkey before. The, the, the new design to be able to happen was anyone could start between, runners could start between 6 o'clock a.m., 8.30 a.m. and kind of show up, get your bib, practice yep. social distancing. Yep. How did that go? How, how did it seem like it, it, it logistically worked? A few years ago, we started using chip timing at Monkey. For years, we would put out a big bowl of potato chips and say, if you want a chip, here it is. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, one of the things that chip timing has really let us do, first of all, is get results up quickly. It used mm -hmm. to be done all by hand, and that was difficult. One of the other things it let us do was put on the race this year the way we put on the race this year. Mm -hmm. I wasn't really worried anymore about getting good, accurate times from people. I was mostly worried about whether people would be disappointed that there was not a crowd of other runners they were racing against. After the race, everyone told me how much they loved it. And for those people not actually racing, they all asked, almost all of them, we got to do this again in the future. Can we do this again in the future? Just open the starting line and go. Yeah. I was worried about people getting lost on the course, about not having adequate course support before, say, 7 a.m. with the course opening at 6. Mm -hmm. That was not an issue. People were able to find their way. We did have enough course marking out there that it was not a 
problem, we had volunteers out there. And a lot of our aid stations actually opened up early, which was wonderful. Great volunteers. I, you know, I started at mile 18 to 26, and you're, you, you have it staged perfectly where anytime you come around a turn that might look a little bit, do I go this way or do I go that way? Typically, there's somebody actually there pointing in the right direction, but on the occasions that there's not, there's a very well-placed sign that allows you to do it, which, which is great. Did you, so... That, that, that's awesome to hear. That's what we strive for. For sure, yeah. So getting the times up with people starting you know, anywhere across almost a three-hour window, logistically about the same? I mean, people started when they started, finished when they yeah. finished, but for you to get results up pretty seamless... Yes, it it was great. We've we, we um we were able to get results up really well. Nashville Striders and um, uh, Melissa Miller were able to um, get us timing really really nicely. It was put online in real time. I was able to see results. I was fairly quickly able to identify the top runners. The very top runners all started at eight a.m. If you wanted to place, I asked you to start at 8 a.m. And we had a crowd, um, maybe 12 men and two women do that. Right. Um, finding out who was, say, the third Masters winner in the women's was uh, something that took a little bit more time, but I just had to wait for enough finishers to come in. Right. But it worked pretty well. Works pretty well. Awesome. So typically you cap it at 350, like we talked about. Your numbers were going to be lower. What what was the final number of runners you expected to be there? And then actually how many finishers? We ended up with a total of 280 or so people registered. We ended up with about 30 people telling me ahead of time they weren't going to show. We had, I think, 238 start and 237 finish. We had one person attacked by monkeys. We're still looking for them. There you go, which happens. It happens, yeah. Every yeah. year we get one to three. There you go. Well, I tell you what I what I saw, and the the finish line was different. I mean, the potluck is, is, is a big part of that race, and uh, like we talked about, weren't able to have that. So there wasn't near the uh, the congregating but you did have some people who had run together who kind of were in their little pockets but what i saw and both what i heard um was like you said from runners like phil zimmerman i think it was number 14 for phil he just had a real sense of happiness that he was able to keep that streak going uh my friend travis uh, Millsaps nine for him uh, there were two runners out there that i know ran their first sarah Shear, who did this yeah. lovely artwork yeah. right here she was Good job, really, sarah yeah, she was super excited that that she was able to run a marathon and and do it and uh, run her first flying monkey marathon. She, she paints pets. She does. Yeah, yeah she's yeah. very talented. Yeah. Um, and uh, my friend Anna McFarland ran her yeah. first flying monkey and, 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 and lots of happy people, like you said, to be able to participate in the race. Anne is she's funny. She reached out to me, I think, the day before the race and said, "You know, I've been really thinking about this. Can I do it?" and at that point, I knew enough people weren't going to show up that we had some spots. Right. And she was generous and got herself a charity spot. And I still owe her a shirt. She signed up after all our shirts were printed. There you go. But uh, she'll lots get of, it. Uh, lots of monkey. Uh, Dan Williams, I know, yeah. ran, pl- had a good race out there. My friend Scott Bell, who I was actually running yeah. with, it was his first monkey. And, you know, the sense I get from that race is a little bit on the, on the ultra scene where people really like to be around 
uh, the area and, and celebrate other people finishing. I know that was not happening this year, but the sense I got even on social media afterwards of people posting their pictures talking about Flying Monkey, you could just sense the buzz that, that Nashville had about that race being able to happen. Yeah, we, we talked last week about how in putting together Monkey, I tried to learn from what I liked at other races. Mm-hmm. And the whole ultra marathon culture really informs a lot of how I approach the race. Mm. You know, I, I call them aid stations out on the course. Having beer afterwards is a great ultra marathon um, tradition. And, you know, we, we are fortunate to have Yazoo. And then Jogalope was out there with uh, Montauk Brewing, which right. was, which people really liked. Yeah. We we had a guy that about mile twenty two was running uh, with a can of Jogalope, uh in hand, and he yep. he said he liked it, but it was a little foamy. And I was like, well, <laughs> part of that might be uh, you you running with it in your hand. But he was so happy to just be out there, and again, that that makes it unique. I was once running. I was once running Grandma's Marathon, and I was not having a good race. And at Grandma's, this is in Duluth, Minnesota, in June. And it's often the first hot week they have there, just like rock and roll is here in April. Right. And so more times than not, it's been really hot and I haven't had a great race. And by the time I get to mile 23 and you pass through University of Minnesota Duluth, you pass through the fraternity row and they're all handing out little shots of beer. Um, They were pouring it from a Colt 45 tall boy. Wow. And I took the tall boy and... Yeah, I had a wonderful finish to my race. <laughs> that was that was the jolt you needed. So, so twenty two, twenty three is a great time for a, a little bit of fluid that includes anesthetic and not so much sugar. There you go. That's that's right where that was. Uh, so looking at it now, you are in the middle of uh, Flying Monkey full happening uh, in the rearview mirror, and now Flying Monkey half coming up December fifth. What what will be any changes that you do from how it went this past uh, Sunday or like the way it went? So I'm, I'm really fortunate. Nashville Striders are managing a lot of that race. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to do a lot of decision making. I think everybody involved saw that the open start was successful, that people liked it, that we were able to keep people safe and distanced and masked, that we were able to get folks swag efficiently. Mm-hmm. without them congregating. And so I, I think that barring any changes coming down from Metro, we will be able to uh, do the half under a similar model. Okay, And I'm kind of holding my breath and hoping. Sure. You talked about it now with Percy Warner having some new regulations where the possibility of having the half on a Saturday full on Sunday, assuming um, you know, a uh, vaccine comes out and, you know, at some point in time, we're back to what quote unquote normal life. Is that something you think could happen again in the future or more just have to wait and see? I think it's a wait and see phenomenon. There's a lot of value of having a Saturday, Sunday race. There's a lot of added work doing that, including having volunteers put in more than twice the effort, because in addition to setting up two courses, you have to take down one course and set up the next course late at night. So it's it's definitely possible to do Saturday, Sunday, and the crazy monkey runners love it, having that ability to double. 
Another possibility is to keep them separated, and another possibility is simply to put them both the same morning with different starts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had some crazy monkeys say, if you put them both the same morning, I'll run both of them the same morning. Why not? Yeah. I saw, I did see Tony, who who won uh, the yes. race outdoors. And Good job, Tony. Wow. He looked like he had not run a step. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how long it was between him actually finishing and me seeing him, but smiling ear to ear, looked as fresh as the day is long. And yes. there's just some really good runners who run the, that race. There were some great runners out there this year and over the years. Tony rocked it, and he, he won it handily, and I— I totally agree. Watching him finish, it it was like a jog in the park. No doubt, yeah. And how was your run that you got to do while you while out there? I was, I mean, with a little bit more moving pieces, I'm sure it wasn't quite the same in getting to do your run. But you, I know you were out there. You sent me a cool picture that people yeah. will be able to see. For the first eight years, I ran the whole marathon. Yep. I loved running the whole marathon. To run the whole marathon, I need both to have great uh, volunteers on the course and at the finish line, which we always have and continue to this year. So that's not an issue. I also have to be fast enough to finish quickly enough so that the winners don't have to wait all day. And I no longer have that ability, especially on that course. So what I do now is the last few years I've gone out and just, you know, run about an hour. Mm -hmm. That gives me a chance to see how things are going, to schmooze with the runners and the aid station uh, volunteers and you know sometimes I'll identify small issues that need to be addressed in the little corner of the course that I get to run and this year was no different uh, the the course was perfect there were no issues I identified and I got to run with a bunch of runners who went on to complete the marathon uh, and that's always awesome yeah I will say this uh, again uh, from someone who is not uh, run the full monkey, but certainly has more of a desire than I've ever had, having gotten to interview the race director and Next year. be a part of it. It really did feel like Monkey Sunday out there. I mean, you know, the race was different. I know it wasn't quite the the start and finish like it normally is, but it felt like, uh, again, it felt like Flying Monkey Sunday out there with just the the buzz in the park. And there's a lot of people, I think, in the park anyway that day, like we've already talked about with it being more popular than ever, Percy Warner that is, but it really did feel like that race has always felt in, in a great way. Thank you. Yeah, so the good news is that Sunday was kind of cool and then eventually got gray and drizzly and rainy and it was perfect for running, but it was kind of nasty to be out for a walk. Mm-hmm. And I think that kept the number of non monkeys in the park fairly low, right. all things considering. And at what post 11 o'clock is when it kind of got a little bit, that's right. A little bit rainy. Right. Yeah. We had an incredible sunrise. Yeah. It was, I mean, especially between the, uh, you know, kind of nine o'clock, 10 o'clock hour, it was, it was just a beautiful day yes. to be, you know, not, not crazy hot, but warm and sunny, but not hot. Mm-hmm. Um, we, so yes, it was supposed to be cloudy all day, but the clouds broke before sunrise. We had some lovely colors there on my Instagram yeah. and, um, then the clouds cleared and it was really nice. And about 1030, it started to cloud over. And by 11, we were getting some spitting. Yep. Well, congratulations, Trent. Uh, I mean, a lot, it took a lot to, to get that race, um, 
uh, underway from the time that COVID became an issue to all the way, you know, this past Sunday, um, November 22nd, right? Correct. It was a lot of moving pieces in between there, but kudos to you for, for putting in the, you know, the time and effort. I know how much it means to you. I know how much it means to all the runners that have run in it and, and love that race. And, you know, really glad that it happened. And what we'll probably need to do is a part three, uh, potentially <laughs> December, 2021 after monkey is, has concluded again and, and put a, put a bookend on it and see, uh, you know, what, uh, what it looks like 12 months from now. Yeah. November twenty first, November twenty first, twenty one. Be thinking about it, runners. And if you want to, if you want to get in on it, remember to uh, to to sign up. It is a, it is a, a lottery, right? When when the time comes, when do you when do you typically put it out for for registration? Yeah, so typically we start the lottery on August first. We give runners seven days to put their name in the hat, and then we give Trent seven days to run the lottery. Usually Trent starts receiving emails from people asking where the lottery results are within an hour of closing it down, Sure, but that's okay. And um, then we also have the charity slots that benefit Friends of Warner Parks, and those are usually open all the way up until November. Gotcha. You have a, a great social media page. Uh, I'll let you, what, what is your Instagram page? What's the, what's the end? Yeah, thank you. It's uh, monkey Trent, monkey Trent. Um, you're a, you're a great photographer, Trent. Uh, my, uh, my wife and I got engaged in Percy Warner park and I, I reached out to you, uh, asking if it was okay to use one of your pictures. You being the Samaritan that you are, uh, sent me four of them at, at the spot where we got engaged. And tell me a little bit about just like your, your interest in photography and Percy Warner parks, a, a big, uh, you know, kind of replaying theme in a lot of your photos, but that's a, there's a lot of great things to choose from. But really, I mean, uh, great social media page, great photos. Yeah, I appreciate it. So I, I've been taking pictures all my life. My father was a photographer, um, not a super avid photographer, but he was a photographer and his father before him was. And they, you know, did the old black and white thing where we developed and printed all our film back in the day. And I grew up, we had a dark room in our basement. And so I used it avidly. And I was really strict, has to be black and white, um, has to be black and white. And then I had kids and I started taking color pictures. Yeah. Um, somewhere along the way, I got into simple digital photography. And now, you know, I've got an incredible camera on my phone. We all do. And I carry my phone everywhere I go because I need to be connected to work and to my family. And so everywhere I go, whenever I run, I've got uh, an incredible camera with me. I like to take pictures. I like to, to share the places I enjoy. Um, and about four years ago, my oldest daughter, who's now about to turn 22, inadvertently challenged me to put one picture a day on Instagram. No more. No less. Uh, I've been putting some in my stories of late because I've there's been so much wealth in sunsets lately. But yeah, um, so I put one picture up a day. I don't necessarily put a picture up that I take that day, um, but if I take a picture in a day that I really like, I'll, I'll use it. And so everywhere I go, where I'm hiking or running or walking with my wife or family, I'll I'll take pictures and the ones that I really like, I'll put up. Um, they're almost all done on my phone. I use almost no editing except what's in Instagram just to, 
I find my phone flattens colors, and so I use Instagram just to kind of bring the colors back up to how I see them. Right. And that's about it. One a day. Do you, do you have a drone? Have you done it? Like you right. And so that's, that's the next thing I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. So two and a half years ago, I also bought a small drone. Uh, a DJI is the company, Spark. It's this little drone that's not even a pound, except when you put the battery pack in, it is. It's got 15 minutes of flying time. And I'll fly that a lot. Um, it's camera is not as good as the one in my phone, but it's pretty darn good. And uh, I usually keep it in my car no matter what. And when I have good conditions, no wind, something pretty to shoot, I'll send it up. Yeah. Uh, and I have a lot of fun with that. It's Man, my, it's my high price toy. Some great photos. I mean, Thank just you. sitting here thinking about it. Your your Instagram page is famous enough, uh, you know, in my life that I literally, you know, my wife has said, did you see Trent's photo today? I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that say that. But man, thank you for sharing that with us. I think it's awesome that we get to, you know, see the photos of places that a lot of us know pretty well, but see it in a, in a really pretty light. Appreciate it. Yeah. So this, this goes back to what I was saying before that we're just surrounded by so much beauty here in middle Tennessee. And I really work hard to try to take the time to see it. You know, right. I'll, I'll block time in the fall. Tell me just a little bit about uh, working at Vanderbilt in, in the medical field. What's, what's kind of your uh, job there and, and just, you know, what's, um, what's your, what, what do you enjoy about your yeah. career? I came to Vanderbilt in 1992 to start medical school. I came with the goal of being a psychiatrist. So I was going to go to medical school and then train to be a psychiatrist. But along the way in medical school, I really realized how much I enjoy general medical practice, taking care of adults and taking care of kids. And so instead of going into psychiatry, I chose instead to train in both adult medicine and pediatrics, which is a special combined program they have here at Vanderbilt. And... At the end of my residency training, I was facing, which I also did at Vanderbilt, I was facing down a choice. Do I go out into primary care and treat patients, you know, all day, every day? Or do I also do research and kind of stay in academics? I'd been offered the opportunity to do a fellowship, which is extra training to learn about research. And I chose to do that, just see what that was about. And I haven't looked back. So now I balance a number of different things. I do research and teaching. My area of research is in computerized medical record systems and the kind of technologies that people use, non-doctors use when taking care of their own health. If you receive care at Vanderbilt, I uh, direct with a wonderful team of folks my health at Vanderbilt, which is what you use to log in mm -hmm. and send a message to your healthcare provider or look up your lab results or pay your bills if you're so inclined. Um, and then I also see patients, um, but I don't have a regular practice. I see patients in a couple settings where I have the flexibility.
right? That's a neat, neat occupation there. And right, right over my left shoulder here is, is, right. is where that all goes down. Um, just tell me a little bit about Nashville. So you, you know, you said uh, Vanderbilt's the big part of it with medical school, but you came back here, what, when you were like three or four, right? Right. So I was born at Vanderbilt. My father is also a doctor right. and he was moving around in his own residency training, bouncing from place to place. So I was born here spent some time in uh, Baltimore at Johns Hopkins, came back here for a year, and then moved to Louisville where my father finished his training and built his practice. I grew up in Louisville, was there until I went to college. I went to Northwestern, just north of Chicago in Evanston. That's where I met the the then girl who became the woman I married. Awesome. Um, And um, then I came here for medical school. I been in the six one five ever since. Been in the six one five ever since. Yeah. Uh, so what what's something that you would say is uh, uh, something that is very Nashville about you now having been here for a majority of your life? So one of the things that's very Nashville about me is that I am born a native, which you know is not common. Number two is while I do not eat meat and I do not eat poultry. One of my exceptions is that I very much enjoy Nashville hot chicken. There you go. And so I'm a big, big fan of Nashville hot chicken. Um, I I feel it's my civic duty to support the Nashville hot chicken scene as someone who enjoys food and was born here. Amen. Perfect. What what about you is not Nashville? So... I, I had a heads up this question was coming and it's it's hard for me to answer because I think Nashville, especially these days, is so diverse. It really accepts so many different types. Absolutely. Um uh, even someone who's married to a New Yorker as I am, you know, uh, is, is yeah. kind of okay. Um, so that, that's a question I don't have an answer for. Okay. That's all right. You, we, you would, but I'm sure someone does. You will just stay Nashville. That's great. Uh, anything, if you were mayor Trent of Nashville, that's something you'd like to, uh, you know, initiate or, or make part of your platform. Well, I, I love all the work that the mayors have done in the past to build up green space. And I would love to build off that really to, to grow the green spaces we have, to connect them better, to make them available in all parts of town, not just uh, certain parts of town, right. uh, really make it available for everyone uh, across the diverse communities we have here big, large green spaces. I recognize that's hard where you've got a lot of inbuilt infrastructure, but uh, it can't be insurmountable. And a lot of other communities have done it. And we've done already in Nashville a right. lot. We've done a lot, but we can do more, a lot more. Yeah. Yep. Um, are you a music fan, Trent? So I enjoy listening to music and I don't know very much about music. Right. So. That's okay. What, what's, who's just a couple favorites, just some, some so, music. That so you I'm enjoy. a lifelong fan of Paul Simon. Oh, great. And, yeah. and, and also Simon and Garfunkel. I remember back in high school when Graceland came out and sitting there listening to it over and over and over on vinyl because that's what we had. Sure. Um, and then eventually I got the CD and listened to that over and over. Um, I uh, have gone to see Paul Simon, you know, every opportunity. I, I don't travel for it, but when he's been in town, I've gone to see it um, and really, really enjoyed it. 
as far as the classics are concerned, I'm also a big fan of Bruce Springsteen. And one of my favorite concerts was when he came here to town a few years ago and just rocked for like four hours oh, right. Bridgestone. at the Bridgestone. Sure. And, you know, he at late sixties had more energy than I did standing there watching him. It was just incredible to see. I was, I was at that show with my brother and and, and my good friend, Hugh, also a guest uh, on, on this podcast. And we ran East nasty that night and then went to the show and missed a good chunk of the start of it. But to your point, we saw a long concert and, and weren't even there for the start of it, but you are right, man. He is, uh, I just listened to a podcast with, uh, with, um, Bruce Springsteen and, and they labeled him in the intro an American treasure, yeah, which I totally no agree with. No doubt. Um, so that's some of your favorites then. And then you've, you've seen, you've seen him as well. Is there anybody, if you could take your family to see a show this weekend at the rhyme and anybody you'd like to go see that maybe you haven't seen before? So I, I, I asked my family this question, my daughter's very clearly said they'd be delighted if I took them to to the Ryman to see Taylor Swift. So, you know, yeah, I enjoyed a, a T-Swizzle show. There you, you know. go. I actually took my middle child to see Beyonce when she played at Titan Stadium. And my, my favorite moment during the show was a buddy of mine was texting me and he had just had a, a brand new daughter who was just a couple months old at the time. And I'm there with my then, I think, 16-year-old daughter, maybe 15. Right daddy daughter date and he was texting me and I was texting back but the texts weren't going through because all the kids there at the show were texting and Instagramming and live streaming and so my text wasn't going through and so I I sent that to him I said look I'm at the Beyonce concert can I text you later and his response was the hell are you doing there so I I was so proud of that (laughs) I said one day your daughter daughter will grow up and you'll understand no Um, doubt uh, well, let's do this. Right? Let's move into running the 615 speed sessions. Yeah. This is uh, quick I've, I've had anxiety about this. Oh, well, well <laughs> mo- most of the questions are, have been on there before. Do you know, Trent, uh, have you ever timed uh, a mile? Have you ever tried to run a fast mile? So I did the, I've run one timed mile and it was the Vandy Mile Bonanza several years ago. Okay. And you know, I didn't grow up running, so I didn't know for running a mile. And I asked all my friends what it's like. And they're like, well, you know, the first two laps seem too easy. Don't let them lie to you, but they seem too easy. Third mile is really, really hard. Or the, the third, third lap, lap is really, really hard. And the fourth lap cannot be described. There you go. So, so I, good, I went in good. thinking that, and that was exactly my experience. I finished in 6.0048. Yeah, six so, flat. That's not yeah, bad. Yeah, just a little yeah. slower than six flat, barely. That's pretty, but then pretty the best good part for was, only one time. Here we go. Trails or roads? Yes. Both. Early bird or night owl? See, I'm being slow here. It, uh, I do my best runs in the early, but I do most of my runs at night. Gotcha. Uh, would you rather have breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Dinner. All right. Favorite Nashville restaurant? Yes. So there's lots of options there. That's like asking me my favorite child. You're be- <laughs> I haven't asked that one yet. That's a good question for speed sessions. Love them all. Just what's one that jumps in right now? Well, when we were talking Nashville hot chicken, oh, right. of which there's like six that I would 
you know, put at the top. Red 615 is closest. It's in Centennial Park in the Old Hog Heaven. So I'm naming that, and that was the one I was going to mention. So there you go. Perfect. There. Lots uh, of other great ones, though. Coffee, tea, soda, water, or alcohol? Espresso. I got an espresso machine right before the pandemic with birthday money, and boy, I put it through the ringer. Happy with that purchase. Yes. Awesome. Dogs or cats? Both. I have one of each. I grew up with dogs. Awesome. Are you a talker or a listener? Clearly, I talk. Great. You're a good talker, though. Don't don't be ashamed of that. Beach or mountains? Mountains. What annoys you, Trent? I get migraines. Migraines? <laughs> <laughs> Having a migraine annoys you. That's perfect. <laughs> uh, is there something that is not good for you that you do anyway? That second espresso? Um, sometimes I'll have the, uh, an extra beer. Gotcha. Nothing wrong with that. What about this? Something that is good for you that you would like to do more often? Something that is good for me that I would like to do more often. Sleep more hours. More sleep. Uh, cookie or candy? Cookie. Uh, do you have a favorite sports team? Go Preds. Preds, yes. Preds need to get it going again. Yes. Um, who is your, what is your favorite or dream vacation spot? I'm going to put that in the boundary waters okay. up in Northern Minnesota, right at the edge of the boundary waters, probably in a lodge because my wife isn't a big fan of actually camping in a tent. So the lodge gives us the best of both worlds. Glamping. If Glamping. You I'll take it. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, what actor should play you in a movie? Rick Moranis. <laughs> I love Rick Moranis. That's yeah. a good answer. Uh, do you have a favorite TV show or movie of all time? Uh, Barkley, The Race That Eats Its Young. Barkley, The Race. That's, and that's, is that a documentary? It's a, it's a documentary about the, the big Barkley right. out in Frozen Head that Laz puts on. Do you have any relationship with Laz? You know uh, I know him. Right. Uh, I'm very comfortable chatting with him and emailing him. He is often a bit stoic and doesn't talk a lot back, um, right. but I'm very comfortable interacting with him um, and supporting his races. I'll, uh, there's a few of his races that I will run. I won't run the big Barkley. Gotcha. No, that's, that's, a, that's a tough one. Uh, what is your perfect run in Nashville? Where, what time, temperature, who with? Yeah, so it's 40 degrees, cloudy, maybe occasional misty rain, but not a lot. I'm fit enough to be able to accomplish this run. It's early in the morning. I start at the stone gates of Percy Warner Park. I run to Radnor. I run through Radnor. I then turn around and run back. You do this on Tyne Boulevard and Bellmead Boulevard. And then you get back to the stone gates and you do the 11-2. That's about a 20, 22-mile run, depending on how you lay it out. Right. Um, and, you know, I'm running with as many of my usual running buddies as will join me. Awesome. And when you're, when you're Radnor, are you just kind of going down through the middle on the road there to Franklin Road and back? Right. So one of the really cool things about Radnor you run that road is you can, if you do that route, you can turn around at any point because that's an out and back. And so that's where you get the variation in distance. Right. If you run all the way down to Franklin road, it's got one of Nashville's best Hills, right? It is short and steep and you work it and it feels so good. Awesome. That is a good run. Uh, best way to recover after a long or difficult run. Um, I, so I've got, 
two answers and they both involve eggs. One is you go to Waffle House, which is my favorite. Everything cooked from scratch in front of you. Waffle House is the best. Yes. And I'll get an egg and cheese sandwich grits or cheese grits and hash browns. And the hash browns have got at a minimum to be peppered and covered. And then I might throw some other stuff on there. Nice. And several cups of bottomless coffee. Um, the other is I'll take leftover stale nacho chips and mix them with eggs, French toast style, and I'll saute that up with a little cheese. That is the Trent version of chiaquillas, which is a hangover food in Mexico. Boom. That is that is a unique answer and one that I instantly want to try. I don't even so think easy, go so for a good. run for that. Um, is there anything you're afraid of, Trent? Flying monkeys? Well, we should all be afraid of flying monkeys. Absolutely. Um, and that is not even an irrational fear. I don't have a good answer to that question. Uh, music or no music when you run? I have plenty of voices in my head. I listen to no music. And what about a watch? Watch or no watch? I use a GPS watch. Gotcha. Uh, best part of living in Nashville? Nashville. Um, and the parks. Love it. If and you want- and the access to all the beautiful outdoor spaces within two, three hours of Nashville. For sure. We are, we're in a great part of the country. If you want a million dollars, what is the first thing you'd buy? Paul Simon to play after right. Flying Monkey. I'd, I'd probably get myself a new car and and uh, a smaller house. There you go. Um, something you want to do before you leave this earth. What I think I'd like to do is take a year in an RV and just visit all the places I can access. In, in, the, in the continental U.S. or just as far as you can get? Yeah, as far as I can get. Uh, certainly in the continental U.S., but probably some Canada and Mexico and beyond. Awesome. Um, what makes you happy? I just try to choose to be happy. Choose it. Not, not, not something specific. Choose to be happy. Yeah. Is there any misconception about you? I think people think I'm a runner. <laughs> I think you're a runner. <laughs> you wouldn't label yourself that though not yet and let, let, let me actually turn that on its head if you put on shoes and you go out and you 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 run or jog or whatever you do you're a runner absolutely um couldn't agree more that's the best answer so far. yeah the biggest misconception uh do you have a favorite holiday my favorite holiday is the it's it's not really a, a holiday. It's a bunch of holidays together. It's just that time in late December, early January, when things quiet down at work, when my kids are not at school, and we can just relax, maybe do some travel. My oldest and I watch the extended version of Lord of the Rings. It's, it's just kind of this this special time that's set apart. Yeah. And there are some holidays mixed in there. Holi- but the, that time, that kind yeah, of the I, I consider that window of period, first couple of days, January. Yeah. yeah, awesome. I think right now we see a lot of people who are very, very comfortable in knowledge that's based on misinformation, and that's causing a lot of harm to health and community in our country right now. Now more than ever, I would think the misinformation that people not only read, but people see and believe is at an all time high. And by the way, that annoys me. 
That's good. <laughs> there you go. We should have got to that one first. I should have started there. Perfect. Uh, you already said Peter Pressman. Who in, is, is there anyone else? Who inspires you? My family. That's great. Do you have a favorite book or a favorite quote? So there's a book that I've read a couple times that I go back to. It's called The Dictionary of the Khazars, K-H-A-Z-A-R-S. It's written in this very atypical, nonlinear fashion. And I like it because it's hard and it's different every time I come to it. And it's been a few years since I've come to it. So yeah. it's time. What And what's, what's it about? It's about this medieval period when... Uh, the Khazar people, the Khazar people who lived up in the Ural Mountains made the conscious decision after diligent scrutiny whether the kingdom should become Christian Jewish or Muslim. But then there's a subtext under that about the mythology of that happening. And then there's a subtext under that about this mythical book that documents this change in a mystery around that book. So it's this multi-layered, non-linear, yeah. really interesting book. Wow, that's great. Um, what is one piece of advice you would give to your younger self? Pre-Northwestern, Trent, so, what would you say? So this is actually a running quote. Um, it uh, never always gets worse. Never always gets worse. So in your darkest days, it's not going to get worse. Right. It never always gets worse. That's awesome. I've never heard that before, Trent. That's a good one. Uh, do you have a favorite race distance in all in the races you run and the many different distances? Do you have one that's kind of your sweet spot? Yeah, my favorite distance is one I'm not really fit for right now, but it's still my favorite distance. It's kind of the 40 to 50 mile distance. It's a distance where you get up in the morning you tow the line, you run, and you run all day, all day, and you see so much. And then you go home and go to bed or go to the hotel and go to bed or go to Waffle House. Yeah. Uh, I've full attempt, day. Yeah, full. I mean, uh, like a, it can be a 10-hour day for me, a 12-hour day, depending on the terrain and what I'm running. Um, if it's a particularly fast one, it might be an eight or nine hour day. There are people who'll do 50, obviously even six hours, but that's not remotely me. Um, I, I've attempted a hundred miles once I had an asthma attack in the middle of it and had to drop at 100 K in that was at Umstead years ago. Um, so I had waffle house and went to bed in the hotel. So hundred K was a reasonable distance too. Right. If you end it with Waffle House, it's still something. Yeah. That went okay. You already said you like running in the morning. Uh, would you rather run in the hot or run in the cold? Cold. Do you like a hug, a high five, or a fist bump? <sighs> 2020, I love a hug, and it's been a long time For sure. since I've been able to hug people uh, other than my close family and bubble. No doubt. Uh, what is the purpose of life, Trent? To live. Live life. Uh, Trent, thank you for being here, man. Uh, I was really excited to hear the monkey story yeah. and about every component you had to it is something that I didn't know. I know so many people who have run the monkey. I know so many people that just love, love the race, love the weekend and, you know, love the, the logos that you put out each year. Like you've really created a neat thing in running, you know, kind of in general, but certainly for Nashville and just what a special race it is. And man, I hope that race is here for years and years to come. Cause I think it's, it's just got so many neat components to it. And 
you know, thanks for being the one that brought it to us, man. It's a neat thing. Yeah, you're welcome. I thank, and thank you. Uh, you know, it, it is, we, we've got a great running community. We've got such great places to run. And, and I love having this opportunity to, to allow it all to come together and just to see everyone have a blast for sure and, and suffer on the hills you know absolutely that's that is also part of something when you talk about monkey there's a lot of parts you could talk about that don't actually uh you know have to do with the race itself and there is not really a flat stretch on it if you think about it i mean you're you're up or down right. the whole way uh real quick monkey trent is your instagram page yep. what's the website for flying monkey harpeth hills marathon.com and if you want to get or you can just google Monkey Marathon. There you go. And then to donate to Friends of Percy Warner, how, what's the best way to do that? You can uh, go to their website, which is Warner Pop, yeah, WarnerParks.org, okay. I believe. Um, we also have links to it off the Monkey website. Okay, so go to, just go to the Monkey website and check it out. And hopefully this Running the 615 podcast can be a, awesome. a yeah. link on there yeah. too. Thanks, Trent, man, for, for being here and letting me interview. And, and thanks for uh, Flying Monkey and, and looking forward to being there on Sunday. Um, and yeah, glad that it's happening this year. Awesome. Yeah, me too. Fingers crossed. Thanks, bud. Cheers. Cheers.